Hosting for two blokes talking tech. Proudly provided by Web Central. Now, it's time for two blokes talking tech. There is a lot going on in technology, as always. About technology. Fantastic to get these speeds on a mobile phone, isn't it? The speeds on this thing are amazing. Two blokes talking tech. Very nice, snappy performance. It's a good phone. Yeah, there's a few pros and cons with this. With Trevor Long from yourtechlife.com. Now, my advice to people who like this kind of service is... And Stephen Fennick from techguide.com.au. I really like this new service. Gives you that flexibility to hear your music anywhere. Two blokes talking tech. Stephen and Trevor always providing the best advice. Lots to talk about on Two Blokes Talking Tech. This is Two Blokes Talking Tech. And thank you for listening, thank you for downloading uh, A Day Late and A Dollar Short, but uh, episode 218, my name's Trevor Long, joining me each and every week, Stephen Fennick from techguide.com.au, g'day mates. G'day Trevor, how are you going? I hope you're feeling better. Oh, it's, mate, uh, the reason we're recording support. A Day Late is but you've been uh, on the, in the sick bed, that um, bruised eyelash, I hope it's healed now. Yeah, totally, I mean it's just a, <laughs> just a bloody outrage, this uh, this right hand eyelash, it's just like, a, it's, a new, it's a new grey one coming up, so I took a few days off work No, as well. we're just kidding, he's yeah, got yeah. he's got the man flu everyone, he's okay I actually went into the doctor, he said what's up Trev, and I went man flu and he laughed, because um, I don't think people normally admit to that in the doctor's surgery, uh, but anyway I'm, uh, I'm getting better and all is good and we are ready to rock and roll with a very interesting week of technology news here on Two Blokes Talking Tech thanks to the good people at Netgear netgear.com.au. You can always get in touch with us on Twitter. I am at Trevor Long. Stephen is at Stephen Fennick with a PH. And you can use the Ziggy Zaggy hashtag to uh, comment on anything you hear on tonight's show or anything about technology. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Now, um, live now on uh, techguide.com.au as people uh, list, listen and download, there's, uh, there's a new post going up on the, on the Jeep hack. This is a very interesting story to me because it has huge ramifications, which I don't think have yet been fully explored. Um, uh, you've done a, a fair bit of commentary on this. This was a, a big topic for me for all the radio stations I talked to this week. Um, the, the basic principle here is a couple of very smart people um, and, you know, linked in with Wired Magazine have spent the time working out how to firstly hack into uh, a Jeep car. So, uh, you know, this car has an onboard entertainment system and, and computer system that they've been able to get access to. And then they've been able to do things like manipulate the air conditioning. But then, more importantly, they've been able to get in and actually do things like apply the brakes and actually stop the car. So... This is very, very concerning for a couple of reasons. One, it's hard to explain to people why this is even possible because most people don't realize that cars are becoming more and more connected. Now, why this car and many others are connected is because a, they're providing kind of back-to-base uh, features. So if you have an issue, um, you can press a button and, and it kind of you know calls in help and assistance. Um, some of these cars, if you have a crash, they can automatically notify the authorities, let alone the uh, the car manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And uh, other cars have have the ability for you to remotely do things. Like for example, um, BMW is a good example. When when we were in China, Steve and I was mucking around with Bowen back here. He had the BMW i3, and I on my Apple Watch was turning on and off the lights on the i3. All of this (laughs) requires an internet connection into the car. Now, it's not one that you, you know, you put a SIM card in. It's just kind of there as a machine-to-machine communication. But what they've done is gone, what if we got in there? And then they got in there, and then they basically wreaked havoc. And this is gravely concerning to me because it opens up a whole world of potential problems. Yeah, I I think, though, we should point out this this was a stunt. 
this this wasn't just two hackers randomly targeting a Jeep Cherokee. The the journalist Andy Greenberg from Wired, uh, this was a setup. So how he's written the story was about well, all the, the things that happened to him while he was driving and then introduced the two what they call white hat hackers. So, so they're the good kind of hackers that yep. go in and test the systems for the various companies. And it was just to demonstrate that it was possible. Yes, that it was alarming that it is possible and how they did it. But I think we should we should really uh, take note that they were kind of handed all the information they need they were need they needed to hack into the car. Totally. To hack into a car, I think if to for someone to target your car, they need to know so much information including your IP address and it is uh, something that is it's it's not impossible but highly improbable and but what it, what it is what I do like about this story is the fact that it's shone it's shone a light on the car as a potential target because you know we're talking about you know in, in the case of the Jeep Cherokee it had this connected entertainment system you mentioned earlier the back to base stuff but we're in in the near future we're talking about self-driving cars uh, and the cars with the more intelligence that we've ever seen before and for 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 that to be, we, that needs to be taken into consideration as well. So there's a lot of car companies that have responded to this. I've written a blog on Tech Guide about it. Apparently, the German manufacturers like Audi and Mercedes Benz are laughing this off, saying that there's no way in the world it could ever happen to any of their vehicles. They've already taken that into account. Others others are not not as as readily uh, dismissing this, but. It, it it does though point out the fact that yes, your car's as much a computer as it is That's uh, right. a vehicle. So it, it is something that we do need to take note of. And I think the the great thing here is, as you said, this is white hat hackers. These are good hackers, ethical hackers, if you like. Um, but for every ethical hacker, there's ten complete cyber criminals who could be doing anything. Right now, the the yeah. issue is it's it's raising awareness and. I think it's really silly of any manufacturer to laugh this off. Um, every manufacturer should say we take security seriously and we're doing this and that. Um, and they should frankly be employing these kind of people to check them f- for themselves. The fact is, yeah. um, mark my words, as of episode 218, just as you know, websites are hacked. And the funniest one of all is is Ashley Madison because three or four years ago, Ashley Madison put out a press release <laughs> saying, um, you know, we... Well, around a time when there was a bunch of hacks, they put out a press release saying, you know, all these hacks are, are an, a disgrace and we take data really seriously and all this kind of jazz. And then, bingo, a couple of years later, they're hacked. You know, you've <laughs> well, got to be very careful. That, that potentially was an inside job, though. They're saying that, that, that their, uh, their suspicion is that it was an inside job. But anyway, the, 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 whole, the, the whole internet security is something that has virtually become we it's become second nature to people now we we have to do it there's no two ways about it you have to secure your connection whether it's in your car whether it's on the web whether it's your phone that is that is it has to be done nowadays and mm. this this story uh, of that that wireless has put forward uh, is it does just illustrates that even further, and the fact that uh, that the, the we're, we're talking about it still two three days after this still taking place, and the amount of media this is this is gained uh, is is great publicity for Wired and, and these hackers, and, and really does uh, bring our attention to it. But f- ladies and gentlemen out there, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. 
uh, you know, we're not going to go back to the horse and cart anytime soon. Uh, this is a good heads up at the possibilities, but highly improbable that it can happen to you. And just quickly, the last thing I'll say is, to, to me, the number one thing, it means that car companies must embrace as a matter of urgency uh, over-the-air automatic updates. Now, Tesla is a great example of yep. a company who pushes out automatic updates to their cars with new features, let alone any enhancements or bug fixes. But yep. if my Holden Commodore, if they discover a bug in the infotainment system that you know just means I can't press A through Z or something to browse songs, yeah. let alone a security vulnerability, I've got to take it to a dealership. And I think a lot of people don't bother doing that. So I think that's... Yeah, that's pretty we, We've got to get to a point where software updates become an over-the-air forced thing. Windows 10, for example... Yeah. Forced updates. You don't get the choice. You're getting an update yeah, because sure. that's the way it should, we should be. We should point out as well, uh, Trev, that the anyone driving a Jeep Cherokee in Australia, hmm. your car is doesn't have the same vulnerability as this. the Jeep that was mentioned in the Wired story in the US. It has a totally different entertainment system, that connection, and that, that system and software doesn't exist on Australian vehicles. And the funny thing is you mentioned the, the over-the-air updates, in the U.S., well, Fiat Chrysler, who owns Jeep in, in the U.S., there they said that they issued a patch to this vulnerability, mm. but what customers had to do was actually download the file, put it on a flash drive, take it to the car, place it in the USB port in the car, and then do the update. How easy do you reckon that is going to be for people? That's going to be difficult for, for a lot of people. Yeah. So it's quite a long way around it. That over-the-air suggestion of, of the update that has to be how it is from now on. It does, and I think that's a that's a really good learning, and that's why these kind of things from Wired are, uh, are good in, in many, many, many ways, more than they are bad. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech, episode 218. Your thoughts are via Twitter at the Ziggy Zaggy hashtag, just hashtag Ziggy Zaggy. Get in touch anytime. SIM cards, Trev, we've all got one. Anyone with a smartphone has got one. But you know what? Soon, your SIM card may go down the same path as old technology, like tube televisions, fax machines, floppy disks. SIM cards could be a thing of the past. If Apple and Samsung get their way, that is, they've developed a new eSIM Electronic SIM. Now, SIM, as everyone knows, is short for Subscriber Identification Module. It's how your phone can identify you on the network. So when you make a call, they know it's coming from you, from your account. What Apple and Samsung are proposing is a new system where you don't actually need the little piece of plastic, the little chip to put in the phone. It'll be built into the phone. So that would uh, apply, uh, won't, won't be any time soon. We're talking probably in the next 12 to 18 months where we see the first devices. This decision has to be ratified by the GSM Association, which is the, the kind of the governing body of all mobile carriers. Once that's done and, and we're with, with companies like Apple and Samsung, you know, the two biggest manufacturers behind it, it seems, uh, you know, it seems inevitable that it is going to happen. Mm. Uh, but probably the first device we see maybe with an eSIM could be next year's iPhone 7. Yeah, and we're not talk- to be clear, we're not talking about um, – there's a bit of confusion for some because the iPhone 7 will be the 2016 phone. The iPhone 6X right. X, not- we expect will be this year's. Um, and this does have to go through certification. But, you know, it's uh, – you know, 
I need a SIM card to swap from phone to phone, so this will be a pain in the bum for me in many ways because it'll probably make the process <laughs> of swapping too. phones a little harder. But for the average Joe who stick with a phone for two years, um, it it's not going to change their world. Although, let's think about the ramifications. Uh, you drop your phone in the bath and you, you've got a spare phone downstairs or an old phone. You know, it's not as easy as just taking the SIM card out and putting it in anymore. So that that is a downside to this kind of Brood. stuff. So they're going to need to what, really... What about, though, hmm. I had a question on the radio yesterday, what about if you want to run two SIMs? You know, there's some dual SIM. I think Kogan put out a, I a heard new that smartphone call, this yes. week, dual SIM card. Hmm. What if you want to run two SIMs? Will that eSIM be able to handle more than one number? Well, I suspect it would, seeing it's part of the phone and, and easier to, say, select a plan. Rather than you having to head off down to Vodafone or Telstra to grab your SIM card, you can simply choose from the screen what carrier you want to go with, what plan you want to choose, and go from there. So would it would that be possible? That's my question. I thought you batted that caller away to the keeper perfectly um, by by. <laughs> I, I was yeah, you were listening. That's I was nice listening at the time. Yes, mate, absolutely. Um, and uh, and I thought that that's that's the best outcome here would be that it actually allows you to. Um, on the phone, switch carriers, like online sign-ups, you know, that. It would be awesome if you could just be there going, you know what, I'm off the plan. I'm off contract. I'm just going to switch carriers down, just do it yeah. myself, boom, and not have to ever visit a store. That would be very, very cool. That would help. And even what about the hassle of having to switch from, switch between telcos? So say you want to bring your port, your number, mm. I'd imagine the eSIM would make that a little bit easier, seeing that we're not talking a physical SIM card. We're just talking about a couple of keystrokes on a computer, and then your phone is suddenly working again. Mm. That, I too, that, that, I think, would be a benefit as well. Yep, it's a, it's an interesting one. As I say, a little bit of a uh, little bit of hoops to go through first, but uh, but this is the this is the future. No more SIM cards, and I don't think most people listening would really mind that. I don't think most people listening would even notice, to be honest, because most. Well, how many people... people are missing their floppy disks and VHS tapes? You reckon, mate? Their pages. Do you reckon anyone's missing their pager? Yeah, I'll... the SIM card could be the same I'll... kind of. Uh, Hang on, could just... have the same kind of. Treatment. I'm just getting a page now. I've just got to call a number to find out what it means. <laughs> Hang on, a fax is coming in. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. That uh, the story about the SIM cards is available at techguide.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. I told you 2015 would be the year of the drones. I said it in January <laughs> at CES, and uh, it's proving the case with uh, Parrot revealing a, a quite an interesting little range of, of drones. Uh, t- three drones, essentially. Um, the, the jumping drone, the, the rolling um, spider, I think they call it the uh, mini drone, but the airborne and the hydrofoil are the interesting ones for me. The hydrofoil is something very new. The airborne is kind of their old mini drone. It used to be the rolling spider, but they've just gone for, you know, um, I guess a different look and feel to it. These are just updated versions of what were already available. But this hydrofoil, Stephen, seems very interesting. Um, to speed over the surface of water at 10k an hour. I don't know. It's it's just like why, but it, this is all entertainment. This is this is this is like remote control of... cars for kids back in our day. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, I, I did see all these in action. Parrot had a little event uh, earlier this week, and uh, I understand that the existing models, so the Rolling Spider and all those other models that you mentioned, they will still be available. These new devices will come in to complement those other products as well. So uh, they aren't going to phase out those other products. That's how successful they've been. And uh, I hope you like my uh, rework of a Star Wars uh, movie title there, Attack of the Drones there, for my story <laughs> about it. But uh, no, I, I, uh, the Hydrofoil was obviously the new one of the range, and it has actually got 
the sort of the base of the of the hydrofall is actually like the part that goes in the water, let's say the boat part. I don't know how else to describe it. But the top, what provides the propulsion is actually a mini drone that's uh, attached to the top of the boat. So when that has to go into hydrofoil mode, the, the, the mini drone then pops up to become vertical and it uses its propellers to propel it horizontally across the water. You can detach that mini drone and fly it like a normal, like a normal airborne drone. Can it so fly it, it as that. a mini drone with the hydrofoil attached and then land in water and hydrofoil along? No, no, you can't fly it when it's attached to the boat. Yeah, right. If it's attached so. to the boat, it's in the water. When you when you un when you detach it and have it on its own, that's the only time it can fly. So the other the other uh changes to the range, the rolling spider, I think there's different types of there's one called the night. It's got a got a really bright light. It's also got cameras and microphones and speakers so you can hear talk and uh, through them as well. The um the airborne similar deal. They've got a night version with two powerful LED lights. But the the latest uh, airborne version is what they call the cargo, and that's got that's got like a uh, a Lego type base on top of the on top of the drone. So you can put your Lego figures or other little building toy bricks, so it can actually carry things. So if you've got a little like a little Lego man, <laughs> you can make him look like uh, Captain Risky on those uh, budget ads flying through the air on it. So. <laughs> Yeah, there's all these other possibilities there. Uh, look, the thing is, these are, the parent ones are actually the best drones for indoors. They are um, they're great fun. They're they're extremely cheap. You know, relatively you know, under under a couple hundred bucks for these kind of things. You know, they jump around, they roll around, whatever they do, they're they're good fun. I love the idea of the hydrofoil. So if you've got a pool, um, you can have your little uh, little mini drone, and then instead of just flying it around the house, you could whack it onto the hydrofoil and uh, start mucking around the pool. Yeah. Great fun. They, they did point out, I should point out, that they did say that the high oil is meant to be used in, in fresh water. So I don't think you're going to take this down the beach or anything designed for that. We should also point out that you know there, there are drones and there are drones. Like you, you and I, we've got our phantoms and we, we fly them you know, like a kilometre away and, and yeah. all those sorts of things. Hmm. That's not what these drones are for. These are fun drones. These are more toy drones that could be used inside for younger kids, more affordable, can be run completely off an app as well. You don't need to, there's no separate remote control. You download an app, control it all from your, from your smartphone or your tablet. So it's, if, you, if you're thinking of getting a drone to take aerial photographs of that, this is the drone to get, obviously. It's other drones that the Phantoms and the professional, more professional drones are going to up for that task. But that's not to say these little mini drones aren't a whole heap of fun as well. And, you know, I, I class drones as being a very similar recreational kind of toy hobby as remote control cars were. When I, when I was a kid, and the analogy I'd give you is, you know, you could go and buy a you know $400 remote control car, which you had to assemble and had dampers, it had an, an engine and all these different things. Plus, you can buy yeah. a $20 one, which just is, you know, battery and steering. These these are the these are the cheap yeah. ones that just go around the house and have a bit of fun. The the parrots, uh, sorry, the DJI Phantoms of the world that we fly are your you know can go over dunes and and, and hills and, and any terrain and, and in racing mode. So there, there's two different there's actually several different steps along the way in terms of drones. But these are uh, these are great fun uh, in the house, great fun for mucking around, um, and it's a it's a great new range. And Harvey Norman are stocking these things. They'll do very well out of it. Um, the big retailers, Harvey Norman, JB, and even Apple Store. 
stores really see this as being a great little uh, great little um, uh, product sector for them leading up to Christmas, I think. So if you want to have a look at them, including some uh, some demo videos, uh, Stephen's got the full details at techguide.com.au. And while you're at JB Hi-Fi, check out the uh, Arlo range of smart home security cameras from uh, from Netgear. The Arlo is a 100% wire-free camera, HD quality, weatherproof, so it can be anywhere, outdoors or indoors, uh, and it links to cloud storage, so that basically every time it detects motion uh, during the times that you, you ask it to, it uploads that um, that. 30 seconds, 60 seconds of motion uh, to the cloud. You can view that wherever you are in the world on whatever device you're on. It has night vision, so it works uh, any time of day. And obviously motion alerts to get that detection and, and actually start the, uh, start the recording and uploads. Sensational way to keep, it, keep an eye on different parts of the house. I've got one at the front door so I can see when the couriers come and go and I can see who's uh, knocking on the door or I can see who uh, might be trying to steal the bikes out the front. Whatever it might be, I, I can see that and I capture it all got one here in the studio so i can make sure the kids don't come in and play with my toys uh arlo uh, a-r-l-o from netgear available at jb hi-fi and a whole bunch of other places but you can check them out at netgear.com.au two blokes talking tech you're listening to two blokes talking tech with trevor long and stephen fennick now stephen i love this product it's a great idea from telstra it's uh it's an in-car wi-fi hotspot um, eighty dollars uh, prepaid gives you three gig of data, and then you top it up as you go along. And it's essentially just the good old um, USB dongle that you used to plug into your computer. Except it doesn't need a computer; it just needs USB power. So you, they provide you in this pack a little uh, twelve volt adapter that plugs into the old cigarette lighter of the car, and that powers the travel dongle and gives Wi-Fi up to five devices to your car. So your car becomes a high-speed hotspot. And the best part about it is that may seem weird to some, but when you get to your travel destination, let's say you're going on holidays, you can plug this into the wall and everywhere you go, you've got internet. I wish I had this two weeks ago when I was uh, traveling around the, the state with the kids. I took with me a little um, a little portable Telstra Wi-Fi hotspot, but the problem was I needed to also take a charger and a bunch of things and, and the battery wouldn't last for the full car trip. So this means you've got Wi-Fi for the whole car trip. And the thing about this is, for people that think it's weird to have the internet in your car or a Wi-Fi hotspot, um, it may not even mean the internet. Just having Wi-Fi in the car means the kids could be playing a game together through a wireless connection on the iPads. They, they of course, could be playing things like Words with Friends or Clash of Clans. Who knows? But in, a, in this connected world, this is a very good idea, and it's only 80 bucks, Stephen. Absolutely, yeah. So forget. I don't know what the entertainment uh, options were in the in the long car when uh, when you were driving around with the kids, but forget the games of I Spy and Spotto the yellow cars. Now you've got the internet, and uh, if they've got their little iPads, and let's face it, how many families give their kids 4G iPads and tablets to connect? Not many. So this having this in the car really sort of changes it up, especially to if you're a if you're a someone who's on the road a fair bit needs that connection. And, and as you said, the best part of this, it's always going to be charged. Like I use a Telstra 4G dongle wherever I go, and I've got to remember I've got to charge the thing. If you forget, then you've got no internet connection here. It'll last the entire trip. And I think for that $79, you get three gig of data. That expires in 30 days, but there are packs data pack passes, I should say, that Telstra are offering where there's data options that last up to six months, up uh, up to a year. So uh, you can tailor your data usage. And because it's prepaid, you, 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 you pay up front. There's no bill shock. You know what you're going to get. Uh, so great way to stay connected. And the beauty of it too is it's uh, on the Telstra network and 
where, wherever you go, you're going to get 4G connection, pretty solid connections, but also even faster connections when you're in 4GX areas. This is 4GX compatible as well. So it's going to go even faster in those other areas. It'll also connect to your USB port. A lot of modern cars now have a USB port in the car and that can also draw power into the device. And that is also enough for to charge the product as well. Uh, and of course, as you mentioned, you get the 12 volt charger too, as well as a wall AC adapter. You're connected everywhere. I love the fact that um, we, we, we record this show via the internet and uh, every week we have good days and bad days with our connections and people will be kind of giggling away, <laughs> Stephen, at your connection because FaceTime, which is what we're using tonight, is doing a very cool thing. It's not letting you drop out. It's it's letting you catch up. And so there's a few moments where you sound like you're reading the terms and conditions at the end of a radio ad really, really quickly. But it's very cool. Um, <laughs> and I, you, you know, know what? what? We should we should we we have had occasions where well, my connection here, or even sometimes your connection, hasn't been uh, the upload speeds have been so poor that I've actually recorded from my end, I've connected using my Telstra 4G hotspot because the upload speeds of the 4G hotspot are better than my home Optus K broadband. So go figure that out. And we blame Netflix for that. We blame Netflix. Uh, You can find out more about the uh, Telstra 4G travel dongle at techguide.com.au. Apple fanboys and girls rejoice. Another store is opening in Australia. Store number 22. Richie, God rest his soul, would have been very happy with that number. Number 22 store is opening in Australia in Miranda. This Saturday, it's in the Westfield Shopping Centre. And I find it interesting that this announcement comes, or this opening comes, the same week that Apple announced its quarterly profit of more than $14 billion. And the reason a company like Apple is so profitable is because they have this amazing network, this chain of Apple stores around the world. There's 457 stores in 15 countries. That's why these the, the company is so profitable. I've never been in an Apple store that isn't crowded. Every time I've been in an Apple store, there's people in it. Uh, People are getting their hands on the products. And that has been the best way that Apple have been selling their products. Once people get their hands on it, on them, they want them. So store number 22 coming right up. Now, before uh, you've got some very cool stats and facts on the uh, Tech Guide website and the story about this. Before before you run through those, let me just make a comment on the quarterly profit. $14 billion, which I haven't looked, but it takes their cash in reserve to $200 or something, right? It's ridiculous. They make a lot of money. They're a very successful company. They um, they continue to make money. I find it absolutely hilarious that their shares could go down as a result of a $14 billion quarterly Can profit. You believe it? Some Don't idiot believe analysts it. to go, oh, we think they'll sell 125 of these, but they sold 124, so they get downgraded and they lose. I mean, it's just so stupid. There's, there's probably not a safer bet. I was talking about this the other day somewhere on the radio, and I was trying to say I'm not a financial advisor, but I remember you know, years ago the idea was if you were in the share market, you were in BHP and banks or something. You know, these days to be – invested in Facebook, Apple and Google is a great long-term play. It's almost it's almost can't lose. Um 
And I find yeah. it amazing that they can be downgraded and, and, and their shares go down after a $14 billion profit. But so be it. I think that those of us that know properly will know very well that they're doing, yeah. very, they're doing very well, but Stephen. Absolutely. I found it interesting, too, before I go to the uh, Apple Store trivia, that uh, Apple, who did, they didn't, didn't disclose Apple Watch sales. Mm. Uh, they did. They did reveal our iPhone sales, which were off the charts again. Forty-seven point five million compared to thirty-five point two million last year. Fueled heavily by China. Say yeah. at the same time last year, yep. Mac sales up slightly, but iPad sales declined, down from thirteen point three in twenty fourteen down to ten ten point nine million this year. That's nearly uh, well two and a half million almost more than two and a half million. Less still not surprising devices, to me. I, I just think... I just think we've we've reached peak peak tablets, and I think we're now in renewal mode. Um, you know, I look at our tablets and go, well, we the iPad twos that we've got are, are getting a bit on, but it's probably still another year before I need to even think about it replacing those. Yeah, interesting times. Well, let us. Uh, I, I did uh, manage to put together a little bit of trivia about the Apple stores and. Uh, when the Sydney Apple Store opened, that's back. In, that's what's all. It's already seven years oh, ago. Can you believe that? Two thousand and eight is when the Apple first Apple Store in, in Australia opened in Sydney, in George Street. We've been there many an early morning for launches and mm. lines around the block. At the time, that was the second largest Apple Store behind. How can you guess which store? Uh, it would have been New York or something, wouldn't it? No, it was London. Oh. London's Regent Street store was, at that time, the largest Apple store in the world. That's about to be eclipsed by a store that they're building in Dubai, which is going to have uh, 50,000 square feet of floor space. But speaking of that Regent Street store, have you been there? The, the one no, it's in, it's, in it's got this beautiful old facade on the building. It's... It, uh, they, they they take it they took over an, an old I don't figure what the type, type of building it was but as Apple tend to do they try to go to keep the sort of classic architecture of a, of the store and just put their touch on it but they did plan to put this new facade on the store and they looked at the plans and thought how's this going to look in full size so rather than waiting for the store to be built they actually built a full size replica of that facade. In a Cupertino parking lot. Now, That's Cupertino ridiculous. is where the head office is in San, near San Francisco there. Right. So they actually built a full-size replica of that facade to see what it would look like full-size. Now that's attention to detail if you've ever heard it. That is, um, that's got the hallmarks of Steve Jobs all over it, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, he he would have been alive at the time, so I'd say it does have his fingerprints all over it. Uh, the Apple, the the Australian Genius Bars. So, you know, when you go to the Apple Store, there, there's a big long bar, the Genius Bar. Say so They say that if you laid all the Aussie Genius Bars, so all 21 stores so far, uh, if you lay them end-to-end, -end, it's longer than four Olympic-sized pools. So that's uh, longer than 200 metres of Genius Bars in Australia. And also, every Apple Store in Australia is powered by renewable energy. Apple's always prided themselves on being pretty green company and very environmentally friendly. Mm. They have uh, said that every Aussie store powered by renewable energy. Pretty cool. Very cool stuff. A bunch of stats and uh, good trivia there on uh, the Tech Guide story about the 22nd store opening down in Sydney south at Miranda. Uh, a rejoice for those in the Sutherland Shire and those areas uh, that they can get uh, that, that kind of Apple support and uh, that Apple retail experience much closer than the city now. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. With Trevor Long and Stephen Fenning.
Now, before we talk minute reviews, I just wanted to talk quickly about the NBN. I um, I have been sitting here at home quite bored, if I'm honest, because I've tried not to do actual work while I've been uh, you know laid up. I've been reading a bit of stuff, and I I, um, I got the NBN press release earlier in the week about gaming and how they put together another video about how um, gaming had brought a couple of young kids together and, and connected them in rural and remote areas. So I spent some time looking at the the NBN Co's YouTube channel, and they've got an actual they've, they've done a lot of content now. Content marketing is a tough thing. It's normally really crappy video, and most of this is probably in that category. But there's a market for this thing, and and here's the interesting thing is you and I talk in the majority to everyday Australians who aren't really aware of everything that's going on with the NBN. They're not aware of all the different types of NBN. They're not even aware of why they need the NBN. And that's, I think, proof positive in the um, in the debate pre-election. And I spent some time looking at these videos. And for, for example, there was a great video there about a couple from Mudgee who'd started a business uh, basically, uh, you know, breeding and, and then uh, and then butchering lamb. Um, so it was kind of local and fresh produce. And they sell, Stephen, exclusively, basically, through Facebook. They don't have any other way of connecting. And they talked about how with their NBN connection, they're now getting, you know, the kind of connectivity that they need and it couldn't have been done without it. I just think that it's really interesting for them, for the NBN to have to tell these stories to to the masses of Australia when, unfortunately, most of the tech world lives in a bubble talking about, you know, the logistics of the NBN or the multi-technology mix or, you know, why fibre to the home is still a better solution. Let's just break it out, people, and realise we're getting the NBN the way we're getting it, which is a multi-technology mix. And let's start talking about why it's good and why you should sign up for the NBN when it is in your area. Absolutely, Aaron. You, you and I, we mix in various tech circles. We do mix with other journalists who have uh, you know, different audiences to, to the people we speak to uh, on a regular basis. And you're right, there, there is a bit of a bubble around some users there that are seemingly not satisfied with the, with the pace of the NBN being rolled out, the quality of the NBN being rolled out. But at the end, at the end of the day, uh, and you've pointed this out in your story on EFTM, if you're getting one gigabit per second download speeds and 100 megabit per second upload speeds, and this is all going to be within our reach. Uh, for, for some people, they're getting it already. For a lot of other people, they're going to come online in 2017, which is only not, it's only a year and a half away. It's not too far away. And that, that's not too bad at all. I think uh, we, we hopefully the, the saying that good things come to those who wait, the NBN will be a perfect example of that. Because once we get it, I think a lot of people are going to be satisfied. They're going to see it's a lot better than what we've got now. Uh, uh, you know, some people that are, that are already on it are enjoying it. And uh, some other people, I think myself, uh, I'm a good example where my Optus cable here is going to be taken over by the NBN. So basically, I'm going to be I'm going to be using the same type of connection, which is really fast, and I'm really satisfied with it. But it's it's going to fall under uh, the NBN's ownership, and uh, they'll obviously resell it back to Optus and back to me. And, so and my big thing I is, think is it, it, we are looking okay. We, we've got a bit of bit of work to do, but uh, it's getting there. We, we we are looking okay. We do have a bit of work to do, but it is getting there. That's a perfect summary. And I would encourage anyone that is well-versed in the NBN to take the time to have a look at these kind of stories because I made the point in my story that my mum couldn't give a rat's about the NBN, um, but when it comes 
uh, I will upgrade her very quickly because she will be able to do things with her computer that she doesn't even know exist today, like video calls to her grandchildren who are, live across the country in different places. And it's going to be a great thing for her. But I've tried those things on her really crappy ADSL connection. and It's not possible. So it is going to be good. It is going to take some time. And it is worth selling the story a little bit of the NBN to the masses. I had Bill Morrow in, in the studio with me for an hour on TUE a month or so ago. And the questions he got were not ridiculous. They were all very valid. They were all great questions. And he answered them all pretty darn well. So I think there is a good plan. And I'd encourage people to take the time to have a look at what the NBN is doing, kind of outside of the whole um, the whole uh, j- journalistic uh, sphere, because it actually does pay to do a bit of research yourself and educate yourself through some of the content that they're pushing out. All a bit of fun, good to good to read. Uh, the NBN uh, YouTube channel I've linked to on, on my story on eftm.com.au. All right, Stephen, two minute reviews, which will, as always, take much more than a minute, but um, no one has complained. <laughs> no one has complained, Stephen. I'm happy to put that on the record. We've not received a tweet on the Ziggy Zaggy hashtag suggesting that the minute should be kept to a minute. So that's okay. I won't turn the timer on. You're going to kick it off with the latest uh, of what is a very interesting company nowadays. I, I feel like Jawbone's a company that had the momentum and have lost the momentum. Where are they at now with the up three? Yeah, well, it is the latest version of the band. Now, you got to remember when the first Jawbone came out, there wasn't really a lot like it out there. So they, they did blaze a trail out there. Jawbone Up 3 is the latest version. It does bring some new features, but it is up against some pretty stiff competition in terms of other activity bands and even other smart watches. Smart watches, no one even thought of smart watches a few years ago when the first Jawbone came out, but yet here they are in competition to the jawbone. Now, the jawbone is very good at most things. It tracks your steps really well. It tracks your sleep brilliantly. Now it's got some new bio-impedance sensors, so it can add your heart rate, your resting heart rate to the mix. So a a good measure of heart health is actually your resting heart rate, which is usually taken first thing in the morning as you wake up, or in the case of the jawbone up three, just before you wake up. So it is a good way to track that uh, resting heart rate is the lower the better obviously so that that is a great new feature on the sleep side it can also measure this device through those sensors your REM sleep as well as your light and deep sleep so uh, those features are excellent the app is also brilliant probably one of the better apps of all the activity trackers out there very intuitive with its smart coach so it can suggest uh, ways you can improve based on the data it's collected. Like it may suggest you may need to go to bed an hour early. You might be a little bit more productive the next day. You may do a bit more, some more steps. How about the stairs instead of the elevator? How about drinking some more water? These sorts of things is uh, what the smart coaches come up with. Design-wise, I think it's improved in the fact that it now has a clasp that you can attach securely. The old jawbones just used to fit loosely around your wrist. There was there was no clasp to, clasp to connect it securely. Uh, securely sometimes it would it'll pop off your wrist you may roll over in bed or something brushes up against you know, against your arm you might, it might come off not so with the jawbone uh, the up three another improvement too is all the electronics are now in the top of the band previous versions had the electronics and the battery 
spread throughout the whole uh, structure of the of the wristband. And as a result, and I can attest to this, and you as well, so it was prone to failure because it was going all the way around the wrist, bending it and, and putting it on and off. Yeah had an effect i went through two or three three of them i think i went through uh in a, in the space of a year uh that aside they're, they're really good improvements battery life is excellent it goes for about six to seven days now you got to remember compared to a smart watch which needs charging every day or day and a half you can't wear a smart watch to bed so the, the jawbone advantage here is that it disappears into the background once you're wearing it you can leave it on and forget about it and it'll just go on and collect all the data. That's the strength. The weakness here, though, is that it doesn't have a display. You're still looking at your phone to see how you're traveling. There are some little icons on the front uh, that you can double tap and put it in different modes, but it essentially you still have to dive back into the phone to receive any kind of information. That, I think, Jawbone probably said, they did that because they want to conserve the battery life. But as I said in my review, I'd be happy to give up a day or two of battery life if this thing had a small screen. Similar to the, the the best screen on an activity tracker, I think, is the Garmin Vivo Active, which is it's got a little OLED screen that shines through the black plastic only when it's turned on. When it's turned off, it's, you can't see anything. I think Jawbone should consider that. So all in all, I think, look, it's an improvement on the Up 2, the, the previous, the Up 24. Uh, but... It is $100 dearer than the UP2. There's a new UP2 that sort of has a similar style. The only difference being that the UP2 doesn't have the bioimpedance sensors. The other thing, too, that surprised me, too, was the heart rate monitor. The sensor can only be used to measure your resting heart rate. It's not going to take your heart rate when you're running or exercising. It's not a. It's what not what they call an active heart rate monitor, which I thought was kind of defeats the purpose. So... They're the improvements that need to be done. I think, look, it falls short in some areas. It's still very good at those other areas that I discussed. But if, you, if you've if you got no interest in the heart rate part of it, you could easily save 100 bucks and just stick to the up two uh, and, and maybe wait for the next one. But if you do want to go all the way, the the up three is priced at 249 bucks. And uh, it, it does offer a great way to keep track of your of your overall health picture. Their app is still the best, I think, but um, they do let themselves down without that screen. Two blokes talking tech. If you haven't seen an ad on the internet for Bellroy wallets, you're not on the internet. <laughs> Stephen, what have you found? This is true, and one of the ads I liked of theirs had little uh, little caricature of George Costanza. I mean, there's a Seinfeld episode where George Costanza has the world's fattest wallet, and it causes it was so fat it caused him back pain. But anyway, Bellroy is a company who prides themselves on making slim wallets that can fit a remarkable a remarkable amount of stuff in them: credit cards, uh, bills, even SIM cards you can put in their wallets. I have actually taken a look at the travel wallet and their hide-and-seek wallet, but what I'm going to focus on for this review is their iPhone cases, where they've combined the features of a wallet uh, with the features of a case. So rather than you having to carry two things, you can now carry one thing and combine it in this Bellroy iPhone case. There's two models. 64.95 has the the one card case. So you can fit a card in the back of the, of the case and within the case as well, underneath the phone, you can maybe store some bills. There's also room to store a spare SIM card for travellers, for people who are switching SIM cards. 
that is a is a handy thing because those little pesky little chips can you could easily lose them they're so small they can also be stored inside the case as well there is the 7495 version that lets you store three cards and it lets you take the card out at the top and bottom of the case the single case, uh, card case it can only come out the bottom and the beauty of uh, using that is is things like your pay pass even your opal travel card it works while it's in the case sometimes you don't even need to take it out of the case you can just put the back of your phone on the on the sensor and it'll, it'll work so uh really high quality from bilroy too it's got it's got uh nice premium leather vegetable tan all different colors and uh still is quite slim uh you, they've managed to fit the phone the case the wallet part of the of the Bilroy phone cases, and it's still remarkably slim, probably no no thicker than a regular case. So they've done a great job in combining those features and uh, also room for that SIM card inside and your bills underneath your phone. Uh, so the Bilroy iPhone cases, sixty four ninety five for the one card, seventy four ninety five for the three card version. Check it out, techguide.com.au. Two blokes talking tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. And that's a wrap. Thank you for uh, putting up with my voice. Thank you for putting up with Stephen's internet connection. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. You can uh, give us your feedback on the show anytime, any topic. Uh, hashtag Ziggy Zaggy on Twitter. I am at Trevor Long. Stephen is at Stephen Fennick with a PH. You can read him each and every day at techguide.com.au. You can listen to his podcast at Tech Guide. Uh, my podcast, Your Tech Life, is at eftm.com.au. Stephen, we shall talk again next week. We shall, and I hope you're feeling better, Trevor. Thanks, mate. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick.